You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Bears win again, soundly defeating the Seahawks on the road to the tune of 27-11. I bring on Quentin Crisco of Bears on Tap to talk through the ups, the downs, and the sideways of the game, as well as a great article he's written recently on expectations around Justin Fields on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And I have got a treat for you as we've got Bears on Tap's shining star, Quentin Crisco, better known as Butkus Stats on Twitter, here to talk through a, a kind of goofy game here, not because of what happened on the field. I mean, if anything, Quentin, that was definitive in all phases of the first half, which is all you can ask for. But with a short week preseason game, it was strange to say the least watching an offense that only got one drive because they weren't going to get anything more than that. And I mean, honestly, I can't blame Matt Eberflus because especially near the end of that second quarter and early third quarter, the injuries started piling up in a hurry. I don't want to start with some massive complaint, Quentin, but given the health of both teams throughout this game, I really can't understand why they had a short week preseason game because it certainly seemed as if any concerns about injuries reared their ugly head. I mean, maybe what did you think? Yeah, we were we we're talking about this some on uh, on one of the, one of the podcasts I do the other day of like I don't understand the point of a short week if if the NFL wants to do you know multiple multiple days of preseason games for the revenue or whatever. I get that. Why not just have teams that play all their preseason games on Thursdays then, you know, why, like why, why put a team on this three, four day turnaround of like, just, they got no practice this week. Realistically, they got nothing except for just this game and even the starters, you know, it's one drive. So I just, I, I don't really understand the, the the thought process behind it that went into making that decision. Right. And I mean, Bears fans, thankfully, can cross their fingers. Thank your lucky stars. Send up prayers, whatever your method of giving thanks is, because it can be it could get worse. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers may or may not have lost Tristan Wirfs for some significant time. And obviously, I'm not even going to bring up what the Jets went through just last week with Zach Wilson, because that's as scary as a scare gets for a team with a young quarterback. Well, the bears seem to have gotten out with all the starters that they came in with, which again, thank goodness, but certainly looking at the way that the, or that the bears reacted or that the way that the team played and the way that the second and third stringers uh, had to fight against health ailments that popped up. And also, I mean, I guess now that I mentioned a starter, should we consider for the time being Matt Adams to be a starter? Cause he certainly seemed like he had some kind of wrist issue early on in the game that could end up creating problems. I mean, I think it's reasonable to say he, he, he can be that kind of one of those fringe guys, you know, like the 12th guy 
guy who oh, comes sure. in for snaps and stuff like that. But I mean, I I don't see if it wasn't to think clear that enough. Going to sit. That's exactly what I was about to say. If it wasn't clear enough, that's exclusively me talking about the Roquan yeah. Smith situation, which goodness knows ESPN spent all evening talking about. And yet I feel like we didn't exactly get any real light on the situation. Both parties are simultaneously yeah. at the negotiating table and also looking for a trade, or at least that's how it seems from the outside looking in. And yeah. We're just going to have to wait, right? Yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, I don't, I don't think Roquan's, going anywhere i mean maybe a trade but i just i I have a hard time seeing them getting fair value back for him and at that point it's just kind of what are you doing here right and i don't think he'll sit the season either so no i think the any thought of him sitting the season like you're saying it's they're either they're either trading roquan smith which is extremely unlikely or they're going to find a way to get him to the negotiating table because it suits nobody for him to sit but thankfully we have a game that we can talk about we can pigeonhole the roquan stuff for later in the week so let's start at the top quentin we started with the offense the offense got their first points as starters uh honestly justin fields led the bears offense to the first points that i've seen him lead in a while which is not me dunking on field specifically. We just, uh, that Vikings game that he last played in was real doozy when it came yeah. to scoring. Yeah. So it was and nice when he was to playing see. on one leg, missing an arm. And yes, that one exactly. <laughs> and this was, I'll tell you what, Quentin, I thought the offense looked rhythmic and yeah. we saw an offense that, hey, is Seattle a phenomenal football team? Maybe that's not, or that's definitely not what I'm trying to say, but the offense around fields scored the three points more so than fields needing to be some kind of superstar to generate them. And I feel like that's got to bode well, at least for the offense's scheme going forward. How did you feel about everything? Yeah. I mean, I, I come away kind of feeling similar to the, the drives we got from the ones last week, even though they didn't get a points, everything felt much more purposeful than we've seen the last few years. And even, you know, even if they're, they're being more vanilla in the actual play calls, one, you know, they're practicing pre-snap stuff that's real. They're practicing motions that are real, stuff that they're going to be doing constantly pre-snap with guys moving around the ball. And I think that we saw a lot of it, you know, and it's it's a good thing to see. It's something that I like to see out there that they're trying to manipulate the defense and just practicing manipulating the defense. Right. And I I love it because exactly like you're saying, I mean, whether it's simple things like a tight end screen that was maybe one of the I mean, if you compare it against everything in 2021, it was one of the best executed screens the Bears have had in a long time, preseason yeah. or not. Uh, and even simple things like the way that the Bears set up a play action rollout that came directly off of the way that they had been setting up outside runs. I mean, these, this offense is starting to look like preseason vanilla and all right. Yeah. It looks like, okay, look, this is going to be really niche, but I love vanilla bean and I think it's better than normal vanilla in the world of ice cream flavors. This is like good vanilla, you know? And if you can execute your vanilla, well, that doesn't mean that you're a Super Bowl offense. It doesn't mean that you have uh, a top 10 offensive scheme instantaneously, but it does feel like this offense at its roots, at its foundation, 
understands how to try to help the quarterback execute a play pre-snap, how to try to space players out and create mismatches. When they ran their rollout play, they hit the intermediate route for maybe the first time in what would have been the Nagy era because they spaced it properly and played it off of a play-action pass. Then when Trevor Simeon came in, I know we're talking about the first string offense, they scored a touchdown on the same standard rub route that I've seen Aaron Rodgers score on the Bears probably 12 or more times. I mean, there are moments where this offense, dare I say it, Q, actually makes offense look kind of easy. And football's supposed to work that way. When you're between the 20s, even the worst offense is is supposed to victimize a defense with a good play call once in a blue moon. And this offense has me feeling pretty good about the hands that Justin Fields is in for the far future. Near future, the talent may beg some questions, but the coaching seems like they've got their head on straight, which is really, really nice, you know? Yeah, just... Uh... I, I know I already said it once already, but the, the word purpose means a lot to me with this with the, this offensive staff and especially after what we've seen with, with Nagy the last few years here it, where a lot of the purpose behind the offense was we think it's a great play design, but that's one purpose. This, this staff is finding multiple purposes because we set it up with this, this, and this, and we think it's a great play design. Right, multiple things they're pointing to as to why they're running it, not just we think it's a great play design because exactly. great play designs aren't enough to work in the NFL. And it's awfully nice because I feel like 2018 Nagy, if we were going to talk about the difference between Nagy's early sequencing and his latter sequencing, it felt as if like you're talking about Nagy had almost a predetermined route that he was going to call his plays in his early years. And as he tried to mix them up, he lost the essence of why he ran them in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. This, it seems much more simple. Each play and each formation has a couple different things that they can do with it. That tight end screen was really beautifully executed and reminded us just how much the bears can do out of these individual formations. Right. And so that, opens up to look i don't want to say better play calling by default but a more natural feel and cohesive feel from play call to play call because even the bad ones are off of a chosen list of things that play off of other things so the worst play call gets a little bit better and the top play call may be may not be like galaxy brain genius because it may not be the perfect pair for this or that but again they all stay cohesive they all manipulate the defense they all help the quarterback try to achieve achieve some semblance of rhythm pre to post snap it's this is something that i think is worth getting excited about now that we've seen it two weeks in a row yeah no i i fully agree with you i'm i'm getting excited about luke getsy being here and you know i mean it I, I was excited when they hired him, but I didn't know what they were hiring. You right. know, I was excited at the prospect of what we're seeing right now being the truth. And now mm-hmm. I'm starting to get more excited about it in a in a more real sense. That was that was something that I know Brandon Robinson mentioned early is that the best thing about Luke Getze is that he had never been fired as an offensive coordinator yet, which is so it's a simple way and it's a weird way to say that when you get somebody like uh, like Pep Hamilton to use a, an example that was popular at the time or uh, or Daryl Bevel uh, yeah. off of the Seahawks, you know what you're getting. But you also know what you're getting. That's not always a good thing. Some of these guys lose jobs for a reason. With Luke Getze, you're getting a young mind that hasn't necessarily given you a reason to get rid of him yet, so to speak. And 
that can be really nice. But we've now talked a lot about preseason scheme. That's no doubt going to change come week one. But I'll tell you what, there's a storyline that I'm always almost worried we're not paying enough attention to. Q. Tevin Jenkins was with the ones after oh, yeah. spending an entire week with the threes. How do you think he played? I mean, he looked. He looked good, I thought. I mean, he looked like a mauling right guard, you know. Pass protection wasn't the best, but he really opened up some lanes and, you know, set a tone out there, which is more than we can say we've seen at right guard in a while, to be honest. No kidding. I mean, I'm surprised if only because the quick elevation has me wondering if part of the dispute that we had between Jenkins and the Bears came down to Jenkins not wanting to move to guard. Yeah, because this seemed this seemed like Jenkins had the Bears blessing out there and I thought he played really well. I don't want to I don't want to miss that. Did he look like an all pro? Let's let's hold our horses. Right. But. The issues that we've seen in Tevin Jenkins in the past is an inability to work his arc quite like some other tackles. And you don't have to work your arc when you're, quote unquote, inside the phone booth when playing guard. And so suddenly Jenkins' natural power, I felt like, got to show a little bit more. It's harder for somebody like Chris Jones to bull rush a Tevin Jenkins, for instance, who's got a lot more power in each of his hands individually than somebody like Michael Schofield. But you could probably get around him. And so the bears suddenly have a right guard that look Q, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Maybe it's the fact that it's 1045 on a Thursday night. But if I was going to pick anybody on this bears line to be, a, to have potential to be a pro bowler, Jenkins at guard makes more sense than any other option. And you know what? There's a chance that if Braxton Jones uh, and Larry Borum can find their footing, and if not, that Riley Reef can step in well, that an offensive line of Braxton Jones, Cody Whitehair, Lucas Patrick, Tevin Jenkins at right guard, and again, either Borum or Reef could be perfectly serviceable. If not, maybe add some youth upside. But hey, I don't want to take something that we've spent an entire offseason complaining about and immediately turn it around as some secret strength. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, I mean, to me at this point, if Jenkins is playing guard, I feel pretty good about that spot just because with his athleticism, his power, because I mean, you forget the guy had a RAS score like nine something, 8.9 or 9.1 or something like, like that. 9.97 once he's oh, moved what, to guard. Yeah, yeah, like, like he's he's a, extremely athletic for the offensive line to begin with. And with his size, his power at right guard, it seems like a, a very strong fit to me. Um, and honestly, may, maybe I'm too comfortable with it, but I, I'm very <laughs> comfortable with Riley Reef at right tackle. Sure. I mean, he's not, he's not going to be a, a world beater out there, but he's proven over and over that he can play the position and play it well, mm-hmm. well enough to keep getting starting jobs around the league and not like every year he's changing teams. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, 300 pound or 310 pound guys that can move and can stop Robert Quinn can stop Nick Bosa can stop Miles Garrett can stop TJ Watt like they don't grow on trees yeah. <laughs> and so when you can be just decent at it like a certain guy that wore number 72 was in a Chicago uniform for a dug on long time yeah you can get paid a decent amount of money and yeah. Riley Reef puts the Bears in a nice situation here where 
not only are they insured against injury, which God forbid the Bears deal with another offensive line injury, but it tends to happen at a position that yeah. plays five guys that endure contact on literally every single snap. So the Bears have Reef as an insurance policy, but also if Braxton Jones and Larry Borum can beat Riley Reef, we know they're playing at a fairly high level or at least a starter competent level of football. Without Riley Reef, you can't be sure of that. But with Reef in, in the picture, you know that the five linemen that you're get you're getting or whatever young linemen take up those tackle slots must have proved themselves against a standard fair NFL veteran. And I know that brings a lot of peace of mind to somebody that is worried about the guy wearing number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, Braxton Jones is the big question mark out there. I mean, just can he can he hold up against power? You know, that, that's my biggest question with him coming from a smaller school and seeing the first two preseason games. Because, um, I mean, his athleticism is there. His arm length is outstanding. You know, I mean, he's he's got a lot of traits that offensive line guys love. And there's a lot to like with him, um, especially with how much I think they're that they've kind of already triggered some of it in the preseason. They're going to want to want to get the offensive tackles out on the move. Like he he executed a few of those blocks in the first preseason game. I, I don't I, I didn't catch how many he did in this one, but um, that's one of the things that which you might you actually are probably a good person to ask this in a in a Shanahan or like what, what Green Bay does or any of them with the wide zone concepts. Do their guards pull a lot? I know the it, tackles get out a lot, but. So it depends. Most of the time, whenever you see zone, you don't tend to see a lot of pulling. Zone yeah. is the whole offensive line moving in one direction, and you get more like something to watch for that happens in a zone run that you don't necessarily see in a in a power run is right. a play like what Braxton Jones showed us last week when he saw that a linebacker was going to try to penetrate that inside gap, and he planted his foot, got inside, and ushered the linebacker away from the play. Right. Zone, if you think about it, is more free-flowing. It's more okay. five guys playing as a unit. This is why, for instance, if you want to talk about like why the national media, because I know there are a lot of people out there that are like, the national media hates the Bears. Why is the national media down on the Bears, but not down on the 49ers who aren't talented? Most of the time, it's because when a team or a coach uh, has guys that have played on a line for a long time, you'll tend to see them play a little bit better in zone and especially zone runs that go outside because they're out in space. There's just a lot going okay. on in an outside zone run because if everybody knows how everybody reacts to certain situations, then including the running back, of course, you can try to open more holes truly on the fly compared to a power run where a guard will okay. pull to force a hole open. That Think of power sense, runs then. as like a can opener and uh, outside zone runs as mincing something. Like Yeah, so like a guard is probably like in an outside zone run. They, they just kind of stay in a phone booth. But does a tackle have kind of more free range to kind of roam out a little more if they feel the need to? Is that what I think it, I'm, I'm thinking I'm seeing is pulling? Some nice thing about tackle play is that from what I have seen, most offenses will design around the tackle having too much responsibility. Anyways, the yeah. tackles main job after all is to pass protect. And there are a lot of tackles out there to just bring up Charles Leno, who was never a very good run blocker. That's a lot of tackles. 
And so yeah. unless you've got Trent Williams out there, which is part of what makes that 49ers run game so yeah. unique in some ways, you're just going to have the tackle get either try to beat the guy to the edge to get in the way and have the running back circle around him, or don't do that. Get in the way, set the edge. And then if the, as long as the tackle think about it this way, as long as the tackle denies the outside guy from making the play, the running back has other options. And most of the time the tackle think about it this way, the displacers are those guards. That's what has me excited about Tevin Jenkins is that in fundamentally any run scheme, but I especially see that inside inside and outside zone. And I know that that's going to bring up memories to a lot of bears fans. The fact that Cody Whitehair and James Daniels have not displaced for a long time. And the bears run game has struggled therein. But when you've got a Tevin Jenkins that can create three meters of displacement, uh, yeah. you can create a lot of holes that you don't need Larry Borum to, to create some massive gap, like Tevin Jenkins alone and Larry Borum being in his spot can create quote unquote, a hole you could drive a truck through, yeah. but just I mean, by you're talking themselves. talking about like a Kyle Long type displacer. Oh yeah. I mean, with Tevin Jenkins, Jeb, Tevin Jenkins is Raz score comped to Kyle Long. I mean, yeah. I think the situation is, to a lot of Bears fans, they're already starting to see that comparison. Now, I saw comparisons of Valus Jones to Devin Hester, so it doesn't take much <laughs> to get Bears yeah. fans to think of that guy looks like fill in the blank. Yeah. But a mauling guard, er, a mauling guard on that right hand side does a lot for the Bears. I think their run game, and we'll have to see what happens to Cody Whitehair. But I feel like Jenkins took a very, very strong step forward, and for a guy that was on the trade block and seemed absolutely heartbroken in that recent presser. What yeah. a turnaround and thank goodness yeah. for it. Because until like, until this moment, Jenkins was becoming a kind of a, a mark of wasted talent, not on yeah. Jenkins, but like the bears organization as a whole, where they had this second round pick that was just going to fizzle and become nothing. And oh, what a waste that would have been. Dumps over it, man. <laughs> like I was right? like, I love Tevin Jenkins coming out of the draft and right. Like I was, it, it hurt as a bears fan who, who, you know, really liked him and why, why him to succeed. And it was like, I wasn't, it wasn't blaming him. I wasn't blaming the bears, but it was kind of like somewhere in the middle and it just sucked. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic to see him taking that step. Now, we talked a lot about Jenkins. What did you think of Borum? Did you have any particular opinions about him? Um, I did not like a lot of his pass protection early <laughs> on, um, which is it's just weird because I do not remember him looking that bad last year at any point. He looked serviceable, at least. But tonight, he did not look serviceable, and that makes me – a little confused. Um, okay, so I can explain it if you'd like. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. You remember when we were growing up in football and people always used to talk about the sophomore slump? We yeah. don't hear as much about it anymore, but it used to be common knowledge. What I an, another thing this is this is related, but it's going to sound tangential. Do you remember the NFC playoff game a long time ago where Jay Cutler tore his MCL, Caleb Haney came in and suddenly the offense kind of had a little bit of pep in their step and and G and uh, green Bay didn't quite know how to defend him. There's, there's not enough discussion on how impactful it is when a player doesn't have tape on him. When you don't know who the guy you're playing against is, you will play him pretty generic. Like you're going to you're going to open up a very standard can or can of moves against that person. And Larry Borum here in his second year has a whole season of tape on him. 
Now that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to suck. Right. Yeah. It it just means that it's up to the player to then adjust yeah. to the fact that the book is out and not everyone does. You talk about I'm, it in baseball all the time, all the time Pitcher adjusts, the batter needs to adjust. The pitcher needs to readjust. Like it's, it's something that you're right. It's not talked about enough in football and it's stuff that I hear about quarterbacks, but not other positions. That, that's a right. great explanation. Though. And, and so what that means in terms of Borum is that there's a chance that last year I know what I saw with Borum was that he doesn't have the power in his hands that you're hoping for. I'm being very, I'm being very low level with this and imperfect yeah. in course with my language, but Borum doesn't, Borum doesn't have the ability to stun rushers quite like I think yeah. a lot of people would want. And so that leaves him vulnerable to the bull rush, but it also means that if you threaten him with a strong outside rush, you can work between his shoulders. And like you, like you saw tonight, create some pressure with more like speed to power style combinations. Yeah. And that's not easy for everybody, but the problem with the edge rusher and offensive tackle is that the standard is like not low, you know, like yeah. if you're struggling against the Seahawks, Nick Bosa, Aaron Hutchinson, uh, gosh, Zedarius Smith is not a Packer anymore, but Preston Smith, I believe is Zedarius like is with the Vikings though. Uh, Zedarius is with the Vikings and the Vikings always find some pass rusher or other. There's it's tough. You don't get a week off in the NFL. Yeah. And so somebody like Borum definitely needs the reps now, but it won't surprise me if he and Braxton Jones, who like, let's remember they're fifth round picks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The that's right. I, have a, I have a really hard time, a hard time ragging up. It's like, He's out. He's out, out shooting his coverage here. You know, hundred <laughs> percent. Like he's not, I, I have recently started using the phrase pedigree. I worry too much because it makes it sound like I think somebody is their draft position, but it's worth remembering that it's hard for somebody who was drafted in the fifth round to play against guys who were drafted top 10 consistently. It's just tough. And so, I mean, for somebody like Justin Fields, who's sitting behind him, look, if I can just segue into something that I know I'm seeing is a bit of a problem. I love Justin Fields. I'm excited to see him operate this offense. I can't wait to watch a season's worth of development. Right now, Q, Justin Fields looks like he has, I don't want to say no idea. He looks like he has, he's very tentative in the pocket. Like the pocket is uncomfortable for him. And I don't blame him. He took 36 sacks last year in 10 starts. Like, I mean, we're talking about a quarterback here who did not learn to like, he didn't exactly learn to protect himself, but he didn't learn that the pocket was his friend last year. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. And so it's something that I know JT O'Sullivan talked about in his breakdown video over preseason week one, Justin Fields playing a little bit too fast in the pocket. And I don't think that this week's single drive showed a ton of improvement there. Now, there's plenty of things that we could talk about with Fields. Like, I love the fact that the offense flowed around him and didn't ask him to be a superhero. I love the fact that we saw a little bit of what his mobility can do. I appreciate the fact that while everybody wants to point out Fields ignoring Equinemia St. Brown, that Fields recognized it's the freaking preseason and uh, chucked a ball at the end zone. I can understand, like, why he'd want to just take advantage of the rep more than anything else. Hey, I... I I re- I was tough on Nagy for always going for the sticks on second and short, so I can live with that throw in mm-hmm. the back of the end zone on second and four. Yep, but I will point out that as we segue off of Borum, 
Fields in the pocket is a storyline that I know I'm going to be following. I'm sure the Bears are basically keeping all of their play action sets hidden for now. You just don't need to show that off in the preseason and you're in man coverage anyways. So who cares? (laughs) But and that'll create some artificial pockets that tend to have like much longer longevity because the defensive line changes all their rush angles, yada, 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 all the stuff that we already know. But I can say that Fields, whether he's taking shotgun snaps or snapping it under center, looks kind of nervous when he's in the pocket. Not because I think he's having issues reading the field, but because I don't get the impression that he can feel the difference between pressure he needs to deal with and pressure that he can trust his line to handle. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, how do you expect him to? You know, at this point, he hasn't even played with the starting offensive line, really. Right. I mean, th- it, there's there's a trust factor that's going to need to grow there throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it does, you know. Sure. Hope so. That'd be great, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Valus before we head to break? Because he showed some fun on that punt return. Yeah, I uh, I got a little hyped up. <laughs> yeah, him. did you? probably the first time I've truly felt good about that draft pick since it was made and not that I hated it. Like, but I was nervous about it just because mostly because of his agility scores more than anything really made me nervous. And it was just nice to see him throw a little, a little shake on some guys in there. And granted, I think, I think being able to shake a guy without the ball and with the ball are two very different things. And we know he can do it with the ball. Now, I want to see him do it without the ball running routes. I get you. And I'm there, too. But I'll tell you one thing that stuck out to me. I thought Valus didn't look small in his tape at Tennessee, but he looked big out there tonight. I mean, the 200 pounds really showed. Maybe I'm just used to NFL players, surprisingly enough, being smaller than they are in the SEC. But, I mean, it's possible. But Valus looked to me like a tiny DK Metcalf tiny because Metcalf's obviously huge, Yeah. but like you're talking about, man, I mean, Valus can't throw the same agility shakes that somebody like Darnell Mooney can, but that speed's threatening all the same. And just being able to vary your speed a little bit and suggest you might turn instead of just blasting forward is weapon enough. And yeah. I'm curious to see what he can do in the receiving game because he didn't exactly show much tonight, but yeah. that's okay. I mean, it's a preseason game. What are we asking for? And in some of these cases, I know, gosh, prevailing draft theory about what, three, five years ago was you got to give these guys at least three years before you come to any conclusions. And now I feel like we're trying to deep or like stick our hand into the cookie jar and pull out a finished take on somebody the first couple snaps we see them play in the nfl and so i don't want to be too quick on the draw but it was nice seeing the kickoff return that he was able to create because any splash play from a draft pick is always fun you know yeah absolutely um i mean i almost i'm not sure how how similar this is in size as far as the guys go but like think about a guy like Randall Cobb who came into the NFL and was really mostly a kick returner, a gadget guy, and was really able to carve out a role. I almost wonder if Velas is going to be able to do something like that, especially thinking about Getze was with Green Bay when Cobb came into the league, I think. I think he was there already. 
Wouldn't surprise me. And especially since when I, we actually got the chance to watch Valus play live here, he seems very different from Darnell Mooney. And I would, yeah. I think I was a little worried when I originally read small fast guy that they would be remotely similar, yeah. but I mean, it's not like we saw that on Valus's tape. It's always nice to confirm when they actually get to the NFL that now they're building a little array of weapons. And yeah. Hey, if all the bears get is a really good teamer, that's a solid third round pick. Again, we're not asking the moon here, but if they can turn out a decent receiver while they're at it, that's great. That's a really yeah. nice step forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm more hopeful about him than I've probably been since they got him. So it's, that's awesome. it's nice to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's step aside for just a little bit and we'll come back. We'll talk defense. And then you wrote an article. I want to ask you some questions about, yeah. but the bears whoop the Seahawks. 27 to 11 looked like it could have been 27 to 18 there for a minute. It wasn't. Uh, and so we've got a nice two and O start to the three game preseason and we'll see you on the other side. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation? If you're just sitting around like you would at home, you need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm Robert Schmitz here with Quentin Crisco, Butkus Stats on Twitter. Here going through post game right after a Thursday night. Quentin, truly the NFL never sleeps, not even in the preseason apparently. But we've we've completely ignored the defense, who I thought was quite rowdy tonight. What did you think of the unit? I mean, last week and this week, they were flying around. I mean... I have some reservations about our run defense, just how big the bodies are and how strong they are up front makes me a little nervous on it on keeping the linebackers clean, but they're flying around. Um, it was nice to see, um, what's his name? Uh, Gordon, Gordon, get out there and get, get, you know, some hits in and he looked like he was knocking off a little rust, but I mean, he hadn't played a game yet. 
So right. <laughs> not shocked. And hey, I'd way rather somebody like Kyler Gordon have his welcome to the NFL moment in the preseason with that tackle yeah. that he got shucked on. Uh, and I'm going to have to get used to this whole DBs wearing single digit numbers thing, because yeah. between Kyler Gordon wearing six, Eddie Jackson wearing four, Brisker wearing nine, it's it's just something Bears fans are going to have to get used to it visually was he was was gordon moving around the formation a good amount because there were a few times where i thought he was brisker and i was like no it's the other single digit so that's definitely something that i i wonder if Iberflus is going to be playing with that mid game you don't yeah it's not normal like normally you have a very defined role on whether you're an outside corner which is hard enough or an inside corner which is also extremely hard but like you're saying i mean We've heard a lot about Kyler Gordon taking some snaps on the outside and taking some snaps on the inside. I don't know what would drive them to switch him mid run. Maybe they just wanted to get him a little bit or like a look at both positions because he may be needed there. But I, I mean, I saw it. It's just yeah. curious. It's going to be interesting to see what they do about that. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I really liked seeing, just his athleticism on the grass, like his very smooth, but very clearly explosive. I, I think is the only way I know how to put it. Like everything seemed kind of easy, but he was just moving, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like he's an exceptional athlete. I mean, yeah. the tape that I've watched, he's a better athlete than he is a corner. And I think that's a great place to start because he, he truly is that strange guy i know you're this is what you're talking about where he can change direction whenever he wants to how like in ways that boggle my mind because normal <laughs> people can't do that while running yeah. backwards and somehow he does but he's got to translate that to being a football player and we'll we'll see if he can Obviously, we we hope the best for him. But I think one of the things that really sticks out to me when I watch this Chicago Bears defense is Eberflus has always been a coach about execution over schematic prowess. I don't think Eberflus is trying to have the NFL's most modern defense, and I don't think he cares, right? He's just right. going to have all of his guys on the same page taking care of their job as best they can. And like yeah. you're saying, man, I mean – I can't pretend that in a game where the Bears dominated, but they also held out 21 starters and the Seahawks, I'm sure, did some of the same that we can really carry this forward and be like, our defense is going to rule because we saw it rule in the preseason. But I definitely like what I'm seeing from the depth guys though in the way that they step up, in the tenacity that they're playing with. I mean, Quentin, the funniest part about being a stats guy, but also a film guy is that I'm sure you've seen the same thing I have which is that sometimes football does come down to who wants it more, who's more physical, yeah. and all the simple stuff that we just don't have a way to quantify yet. And Eberflus seems to be infusing that competitive tenacity into his team. And, I mean, it's definitely not something that we could point to in April and say, okay, the Bears are definitely going to want it more than the other team. But sitting here tonight, the Bears, the Bears twos – have come out and smoked two very good sets of teams twos. Doesn't mean anything, and nobody wins an award for the preseason. But it's awfully nice, given where things ended in the Nagy era. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a clear a clear trait from that that Dungy kind of coaching lineage of their they get a lot of fight out of their locker room without being rah rah right in your face. 
loud and hurting the locker room sometimes. Like some some of the coaches who are known for getting a lot out of their players can be too intense. Uh, Eberflus just reminds me a lot of that Tony Dungy kind of lovey atmosphere of these guys play so hard for him, but he's also not burning guys out. I th- I hope. I mean, that's how it seems from the outside looking in. It is week two of the preseason. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I think Dungy's a good way to put it, though, where e- Eberflus does not come across like Dan Quinn does or like right. uh, Dan Campbell does or plenty of the other very rah-rah Rex Ryan-like big personality with the biggest personality being the defensive coordinator. Eberflus right. is very understated in a lot of the ways that he approaches things. And I'm curious to see what that impact on the team is because Nagy did not come across like a micromanager, even when he maybe should have been with some of the wide receiver technique that we saw and things like that. When things got out of hand, Nagy didn't have a good way to fix them. And I'm curious to see as a head guy, because we've talked about this a lot throughout the years, Q, the head guy can only do so much. I mean, they, they create the culture, they set the standard, but if Iberflus is working with the linebackers, he can't also work with the corners. There's only so many right. hours in so many days. And so I'm very curious to see how this whole defensive staff around Iberflus approaches a year where, hey, I mean, Q, if they deal with any injuries, I don't quite know what they're going to do because yeah. the twos winning against the twos is great. It's tough when they have to go up against just, Justin Jefferson twice a year. Yeah. But thankfully, 2022 is a year where if things go sideways, they're still pointing up as long as they go either sideways or up and not yeah. in the middle of those two. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be in purgatory. Um, right. But um, a guy who I've noticed a lot in his first two games is uh, Nick Morrow. Uh, yes. I think he's he's really showing, showing a lot out there as a, a guy who's probably going to end up getting paid next offseason as long as he stays healthy because he's mm-hmm. – He's flying around to the football. He's working his way through blocks and um, just making plays. Mm -hmm. I'm also speaking of Nick Morrow, very interested to see whether Iberflus's current formation deployment is going to mirror what he's going to do in the NFL regular season. It's not something I know I've tried to make too much noise about because we truly don't know. I could write four articles about the way that they're deploying the defense, and it could just not matter because then they could play a nickel most of the game uh, when they actually get into the regular season. But right now they're using a lot of three linebacker formations, which interests me if only because I don't feel like linebacker sans Roquan Smith is a particular strength of this team and I think the DB is. So yeah. I'm curious to see what Eberflus's defensive, uh, what his defensive leanings are, because we've seen some coaches like Staley say, I don't care, run the ball all you want. Teams did. They didn't make the playoffs because their run defense yeah. got exploited. You can't, as much as the nerds, I say that lovingly, I am a nerd, <laughs> want to act like running the ball doesn't matter. There is a point where it does. You have to stop the run at a baseline level or if a team, if a team can walk you down the field every right. game, why would they ever pass? And they will like, yeah. unless you're playing Bruce Arians, in which case they may <laughs> not anymore. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to watch the way that this team operates and I'm curious to see what they're going to do. They obviously tried to hand out a big contract to, uh, 
to Ogan Joby, but yeah. from talking with Zach Pearson, it sounds like uh, sounds like Justin Jones has been really tearing it up in practice, which is great he news. Tore it up in the first preseason game too. I didn't know, mm-hmm. notice whether he did tonight or not. But in the first preseason game, I, I was impressed by him. He's getting all kinds of penetration. I can't tell if I'm just a hater. I want to see that penetration help uh, because I do think that there's such thing as. Think about it this way. You've seen Rush's cue that I'm sure you can remember where an interior defensive lineman technically penetrated really hard and the offensive lineman turned their hips and ushered them towards the back of the field and they didn't do anything. It's nice when somebody pushes them into that penetration, but your penetration has to make an impact on the play. Uh, All the same. It's nice to see penetration at all. Um, Yeah. But I feel like, I want to ask you about the article that you've written before we yeah. do. I want to give a hat tip to Cole Kmet, who I thought looked like he'd take, he, I can't say that he took a nice step forward. He caught two passes uh, <laughs> if memory serves, but he does seem like he's going to be a central role in the offense that doesn't feel force fed. Right. Yeah. That felt like a much more natural tight end volume instead of necessarily feeling like Nagy just called Kmet's number, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there because for a lot of the last two years, it's felt, it's felt very forced that the, the, the targets to him, you know, two yards past the line of scrimmage on a, a little, a little out route or peel off. And it's just, it, you know, it gets another two yards and he's ate up by the tackler. But um, I think getting him downfield up the seam and working off the seam is really a place where he, he can excel. Yeah. I think he has mm-hmm. the athletic ability to really excel there and, I think that's what they're trying to do. And I think that's, you know, what we saw tonight, like that, that, right. uh, that, that crossing route, I, th- I think he worked up the seam and then crossed and he yep. was there. And credit to the way that Getsy deployed him. I mean, again, preseason grain of salt. Yeah. Let's not freak out yeah. too much, <laughs> but if there's one thing that I think Cole Kmet is legitimately really good at it's versatility. You can't put Jimmy Graham out in 12 personnel and ask him to lead a, an outside zone rush it's it will not go well i mean you could do it but there's right. no point right honestly mark andrews is in a similar boat where i love the guy but he's a receiver travis kelsey it leans in that way cole Komet is more that old school tight end uh desmond clark if you can remember all the way back there uh, not quite desmond clark back in the day man who didn't right <laughs> not not quite greg olson not yeah. quite heath miller so you don't have the biggest body when it comes to blocking. Um, oh gosh, what was the guy's name? Kellen Davis, the blocking tight end who could not catch for the Bears for years. But you don't have a smooth receiver either. So how do you get the most out of him? You use him in formations where he could do either, and he's legitimately yes. threatening in either. Where yeah, when he's the- when he's running full speed at a linebacker, they don't know if he's coming to block him or going to run right by him. Exactly. And that rollout was a perfect example because Cole starts running to the right to block for Khalil Herbert. And then he circles around and ends up that intermediate crosser. And like you saw, he had no one near him because he'd gotten lost in the shuffle. He was, he was quote unquote, a blocker for the first part of that play. And by the time the defense found him again, they just hadn't passed him off correctly. That's the perfect way to use Cole Kmet because if you, I think Maggie showed us this, right? If you try to make him a feature receiver, he's going to kind of let you down. Yeah. But if you make him a natural progression read where he, where his role helps him get open, 
because it helps him effectively like disguise where he's going or what he's doing. I think that fits him really well. And I mean, it has me excited about what it'll be this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, I think he's going to change, change some people's minds about him. I mean, you look at green Bay with, with, I mean, I don't think Robert Tunyon's anything more special than Cole Komet is. <laughs> You know, but Tunyon put up, like, I mean, he's working with Aaron Rodgers in a good O-line, but, like, Tunyon did it. I don't <laughs> want to hate on Robert Tunyon. I'm not trying to hate on the guy. I know. He's played at the NFL at a very high level and he, doing well with it. I feel like Tunyon's a great example of when you've got a really good quarterback and a really healthy offense and you yeah. play tight end, you can get a lot of production out of just yeah. getting wide open. and. Yeah. It's nice to see Cole Komet in that area because I think his second round pedigree shows a little. He's clearly got talent and yeah. it's nice to see. But Quentin, I brought you on in part because I knew you could finish this off with a flourish. You wrote an article about how Justin Fields is realistic expectations, like what they ought to be going into yeah. this year and the offenses that he compared to. And honestly, that's all I want to say. Would you mind introducing us into the article, telling us what you roughly found and where we can read the rest of it? Yeah. So um, really this all kind of started last year. I did an article about skill position, talent, offensive line talent around rookie QBs and how correlative they are to how successful those rookie QBs are. That article found that all the data pointed to wide receiver one and tight end talent being the most crucial things towards a rookie having a good rookie year. And in general, skill talent being more important than offensive line for, for them to have a successful rookie year. Not that offensive line isn't important. It is. You want your quarterback healthy. You want him standing. You want him to have time to throw the ball. Um, but Basically, I was trying to recreate that and improve it for year two quarterbacks now. And it took a lot. Really, I, I've gotten better in the last year and expect better. So that was part of it, too. Right. It took a, a lot of time and effort to find the best ways to figure this out. Because, you know, I can just slap PF, F, or PFF grades on it and say, that's how valuable that player is. Or slap salary numbers on and say, that's how valuable that player is. But I don't think either are fully reflective of it. So I, I did a combination of age because when your right tackle is 38 years old, they're just not as reliable uh, as, as a guy who's 25, 28, anywhere else uh, to be out there on the field, to keep playing at the level they have. Um, then I looked at PFF grades over the last two years, their uh, average salary as a percentage of the salary cap. Um, something I called their net positive play rate, which was how many first downs, touchdowns, contested catches, explosive runs. Uh, they had per snap as a percentage of snaps and okay. then netted against how many sacks allowed, pressures allowed, penalties, drops, uh, fumbles, and interceptions on targets, which is kind of, I wasn't sure if I wanted to include that one in there or not, but I ended up saying, yeah, I'll throw it in there because it doesn't hurt guys that much to have it in there. Um, and basically, you end up with a net percent of their snaps where they had a difference-making play in a positive way or a negative way. And right. I, It's almost like these plays things, above replacement. Yeah, like, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to go for, but trying to keep it simple 
because once I start throwing other factors in there um, that aren't just, you know, single, single digit raw stats, like a first down, you know, once I start throwing yards right. in there where there's a hundred different variations of how many yards it could be, it starts getting really weird with numbers. Um, and I weighed all this stuff against the average for that position. Um, so for a left tackle, there's no positive plays. There's only negative plays. And it's weighed against because I mean, what's a positive right. count offensive line stat? Even um, a pancake isn't technically helpful. Like you yeah, can get a like pancake on a blitz and you pancake the wrong guy. But so I know that left tackle A only had a negative play on two percent of snaps, but left tackle B had a negative play on six percent of snaps. So I can tell how okay. how much better he is than the other guy. Um in essence, you know, better. But um, and then the other factors were like Pro Bowl voting or Pro Bowl nominations without the alternates, all pros, stuff like that. And then um, draft stat, their draft pick value, because I have so many factors coming into here, draft pick value alone isn't enough to out overweigh a guy like uh, a guy who was a first round pick 10 years ago. You're going to say, he did, why are you looking at draft value for him? Because everything else is going to outweigh his draft value at this point. But for Braxton Jones, that's going to be enough to like, that's going to be one of the only factors he even has. It's going to be enough to really put him in an area where he probably belongs. Um, so all those factors combined gave me really a score for every position of how much above or below average they were. Uh, the, everyone on the ro- offensive roster for right. every second year QB going back to Derek Carr in 2014. Or not, uh, Derek Carr and Blake Bortles and Teddy Bridgewater, I think it was. Holy moly. So you compared this against every quarterback and all 10 support positions? Or did you go more yeah, than Yeah, well, so not every single quarterback. Every quarterback who was like a first, second round pick and has truly been okay. a starter. You know, I didn't do it for Gardner Minshew because right. like it's kind of gray area whether he's called a starter. In those but you probably did that. for Jalen Hurts, for instance. Oh, yeah. I did it for Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was the sixth closest roster to uh, the Bears and Justin Fields. Um, but so that gave me rankings for skill positions versus O-line. Again, the results were, interestingly, that skill posi- the better skill position players you have, the more likely your QB is to succeed in season two. Um, Justin Fields fell a little below average on that. Now by skill positions, I'm saying running back, tight end, wide receiver one, wide receiver right. two, and something I called just a flex position, which can be any of the three because every team has that 12th guy, yep. but not every team has it at the same position. So I, no. that, that was kind of a, a mixed bag of positions. Um, and he was pretty much, he was tied with Trevor Lawrence as a little bit below average in skill position, um, which when you think about it with what Trevor Lawrence has as disposal, I'm not sure it's that much better when the Bears have. No, I mean, the, I think, I think the part about this whole dialogue that a lot of people have gotten stuck on is that at least this is how I feel, Q. We did so much talking about how bad the Bears wide receivers were a while ago that I feel like when Mooney really started to show that he's more than just a quote-unquote wide receiver too, people already had the narrative set and don't really want to change it. Like you're saying, I mean, it's not that uncommon to if I was going to use different names, right? To have a receiver room of Tyler Lockett, a free agent signing, a recent draft pick, and a couple unknowns. That's yeah. not an unusual receiver room. 
But because it's Darnell Mooney, who was a former fifth round pick, he's just he he's not that good. Like the Bears are still missing their number one. Well, and I can get into a whole a whole like a whole black hole with that because one of the things I realized in doing this was how many times there have been these teams that have just so many unknowns around their roster and great scheme pulled them into being stars, great scheme, great draft picks, whatever. Not that you can expect that, but it's interesting because like you look at the 2017 Rams, I mean, Sean McVay's there. You can't expect a third round pick to be Cooper cup, but Cooper cup is a rookie third round pick who was one of their top, uh, probably their second most targeted receiver that year. Robert Woods has never gone over a thousand yards in his career. And Sammy Watkins has been disappointing for the last two, three years after being a, a big name right away in the NFL. Then you go look at their O-line. Whitworth's a monster. There's no question about that. Um, Jamon Brown, below average guard by NFL standards for the most part. Um, John Sullivan has not played more than 200 NFL snaps in the last two years at center anywhere, but he is their center. He hasn't played anywhere over 200 snaps in two years, which is a long time to not play. Um, I'm not sure. I I assume he had some type of injury going on. I didn't go research why he didn't play. I just know he didn't. Um, And then they have Rob Havenstein at right tackle. Who's a solid tackle. Um, And I forget who the guy they had at guard was. I know the name. He's in Buffalo now. But um, a guy who was average to above average, you know, just solid guy. So that's what maybe two no or three knowns on the offensive line and no real knowns at wide receiver. Todd Gurley's coming off a massively disappointing sophomore season after a monster rookie year, have you. Uh, but average under four yards of carry his second season. And then Tyler Higby's a giant unknown at tight end. So they really don't have anything that they know is going to work. Right. At any skill position and they go out and win 12 games like it's just it's interesting i'm not saying it's going to happen with the bears no i get you at all but there's so many times where these unknown teams become knowns because that, that was just the most extreme example i found there are multiple examples like in 2015 teddy bridgewater's second season stefan diggs was a fifth round rookie and was his number one receiver Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's funny because if you talk to the standard Bears fan, for the wrong reason, they're very familiar with the concept of scheme and quarterback raising somebody's play level. Because if if you ask your Bears fan or your standard Bears fan to name your favorite of the unknown Green Bay receivers that have completely embarrassed, uh, whether it was the Bears or the league. I mean, honestly, like Justin Jones didn't just run roughshod over uh, the Bears for a little while. He also ran roughshod against kind of everybody. Any whoever Aaron Rodgers wants to throw to tends to do well. But like you're saying, I mean, it's I remember at one point I was really drawn to the comparison of uh, I think it was second year Russ Wilson, who I'm sure you looked at. Right. Yeah. I mean, Doug Baldwin was a UDFA. Like, why would anybody have expected? Actually, no, Russ Wilson wasn't in there. That's oh, 2010. 2010. Ah, he was a little too early. Huh? Yeah, I, I, well, could, I couldn't keep digging time and do it. <laughs> no, I get you. If you had looked at it, you would have noticed that two of the more productive receivers that came out of his rookie year were, I believe the guy's name was, was it Jermaine Curse? Uh, it wasn't Javon, right? Yeah, um, no, it was. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. But Curse and Baldwin were both UD phase. 
So yeah. stuff like that, where like, I'm not about to say Chris Finke is going to explode, but you, this is the time of year where you point, you say, Phelis Jones, come on, what's he going to do? And then suddenly three years later, people are saying, yeah. well, I mean, they've got Valus Jones. Like, of course they're good. <laughs> I'm Not to use him in particular, but I know what you mean. That yeah. When they're still an unknown, you assume they're bad. <laughs> and then if they go out and surprise you, if Cooper Cup becomes one of the best receivers in the NFL, suddenly people turn around and say they've always been good because they can't quite remember when things changed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So ultimately, through all that, uh, through some standard deviations on the numbers I found, this wasn't even my plan for the article. My plan was just to look at, you know, how successful quarterbacks were versus the talent. Then I was like, ever since the draft, I've been playing around with what I can do with standard deviations to try to find player comps. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I can try that here because this is just player comps at the end of the day. And I really, I really got into it this time though, more than the times I did with the draft (laughs) class and was trying to find the perfect mix of how do I, how do I comp these guys and how do I comp a full roster and weigh it to where it's actually at all representative? Cause you know, you can just comp them to the closest thing, but if you're left guard, your right guard, your wide receiver three and your flex position are hundred percent matches that's going to outweigh the extreme mismatches at the most important positions, right. you know? So I was trying to find weights that really worked with it. And I think I, I think I finally did at least by my eye test, which isn't, you know, great analytics, but that, that's what I was left to. It's what I trust. Um, and really ended up with the numbers pointing at, you know, 2015 Teddy Bridgewater, 2016 Marcus Mariota, surprisingly 2018 bears, which was another one of those things where Allen Robinson hasn't played in a year. Was he ever really a number one receiver? Or was it all garbage time stats? You know, that whole, that whole question. And then, right. you know, Taylor Gabriel was a guy statistically. He wasn't a dude. And Anthony Miller is an unknown rookie. And Trey, Trey Burton is a massive unknown at tight end. The offensive line was much better, but the skill position group was actually fairly similar. When you're talking year two, year three, Darnell Mooney versus year what year five, Allen Robinson, they're actually fairly close statistically. Um, that makes sense. And then after that, we got the one that you know we're all holding out hope for of 2019 Josh Allen, who had nothing working in his favor, right, <laughs> on that roster his second year in Buffalo. I mean, it was just a a rough shot of players like I, his number three receiver had 200 career yards in three seasons. Like, right. I mean, just, and he's turned into a solid NFL player now, Isaiah McKenzie, but he was nothing at that point, you know, nothing that you're saying we got this figured out, you know? Right. Um, and then last, but most shocking was MVP Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you're kidding just no (laughs) well again you think through it wide receiver one is a first round pick rookie drafted 20 number 25 overall really not that far off from what darnell mooney is right now if you're saying i'd trade this for that you know they're probably darnell mooney's probably actually a little higher than you put a guy picked 25th overall 
Um, and then beyond that, I mean, the receiver room was pretty rough beyond that. Mark Andrews was a second, uh, a second year player who had 500 yards as a rookie, which is good for a tight end Very. as a rookie, but it's still, we don't really know what he is yet. Is he going to be able to repeat that? Is he going to be able to grow on it? Or is he going to recede down and not be the same guy, especially if we move into this Greg Roman offense, which was another factor I looked at as the next step of was their offense changing, did their coaching changing, all that stuff. But the, the biggest thing for me with looking at the Lamar Jackson one was we don't have um, Marshall Yonda. <laughs> we don't have um, their left hat, Ronnie Stanley. Right. That right. Those are two all world offensive linemen who completely throw the comp out the window for me at that point on a one to one basis. Um, and then you can factor in Orlando Brown with that. And you start talking about the Greg Roman offense that's completely geared towards a running back who know, who's, you know, that gifted running the football. And Fields is very gifted running the football. Lamar Jackson's special different running the football. It's it's just different. Well, um I mean, that's a piece of his game, Q, that I'd even dispute. I feel like Fields is very good at running, but yeah. I feel like running the football is is different. I mean, yeah. running the football, you need that like crazy deranged part of you that Josh Allen seems to have in him. If yeah. you're a quarterback, that if Lamar Jackson absolutely showed in that MVP year where a quarterback wearing half the pads of somebody else is going to truck stick somebody anyways for a little bit yeah. of extra yardage. Now, far be it for me to suggest that Justin Fields is not tough. That's not where we're going with this. But Fields yeah. reminds me more of like a, Imagine a faster Aaron Rodgers at his best, where it's yeah. not that Fields wants to run necessarily. He's good. He's good at scrambling because he's so fast. Yeah. But I don't feel like as a runner, he's trying to do like you're saying. I mean, I don't think he's trying to do the same things yeah. that somebody like Lamar would try to do yeah. in that setting. Yeah. So to no. your point, you can't really comp the two. Yeah, exactly. But so even though I can't cop him, I include him in the averages, just to see how it would turn out. I averaged those five quarterbacks together, which, you know, I mean, it honestly, that's the beauty of doing an average. It all weighs each other out because mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater had like 12 passing touchdowns and nine interceptions. Lamar had like 36 and nine, you right. know, it, it ends up. So like with, between those five quarterbacks, you were talking, I think 3,200 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, another four touchdowns on the ground, maybe 500 yards rushing. So like 37, 3,800 total yards, 28 touchdowns. And I think it was 14 turnovers once you added in fumbles. Okay. And I, that all sounds like very fair numbers to me for what yeah, I can really expect good. from Justin Fields this year. If anything, the yards are a little light, but then again, yeah. we that probably doesn't factor in the 17th game, does it? Well, also, something I thought about after I published it, you look at those quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson played 15 games. Um, Mitchell Trubisky played 13 games. Um, Mariota, I think, missed a game or two in there. Gotcha. Well, so I mean, that was that it's kind of factoring in an injury. If an injury happens, and he misses a few games, which like I would love for fields to be 17 games of health this year. But he was nicked and bruised enough up last year that I will believe it when I see it. Yeah. But yeah. like you're saying, I mean, that's a good place to start. That seems like it took a ton of work and that a lot of <laughs> stuff went into it. But ultimately, like you're saying, it's I mean, honestly, Q, 
forgive me, but you make it sound like if Justin Fields can find a way to end up with 20 or more touchdowns, like if we had to just pick one stupid number, right? That's just quantity based. That if we can see Justin Fields ratchet up the ability to put the ball in the end zone, that that's a good sign because yeah. you make it sound like rookie development in his second year. Cause you named a bunch of guys and not all of them developed, but you suggested that this supporting cast doesn't, this supporting cast does not deny him the ability to take that next step. Yeah. It also doesn't mean that he has to take it this year. I mean, suffice to say there's a big difference in the way that 2019 Josh Allen played and 2020 Josh Allen, who just yeah. came out built different. And so well, that was really what I what I closed the article with is talking about that. Um, I pulled in another comp at that point who actually did not compare that close, had a much more talented roster, uh, mainly because of the offensive line, which is interesting because it comes back to the correlation between the success rates and Dak Prescott's offensive line in his second season was outstanding. His skill positions really fell off a table. Because with Zeke Elliott suspended six games, Des Bryant fell off that year. Jason Witten fell off some that year. They just weren't the same team that they had right. been. And he struggled. Like he, I mean, struggled. He a 20 and 10, something like that, but um, did not take a step year over right. year. He actually regressed. And then you look at his third year, he was still just in that in that same okay range that that range of like we don't know what this guy is which is where i'm i'm almost expecting to be there with fields at the end of this year where like based on what i see on tape i'll believe but based on numbers he's still going to be in that territory of i don't know i don't know i don't yep. know if he's it or not but the beauty of that is you look at Dak's third year first half of the season he's still in that i don't know range they go get Amari Cooper at the trade deadline. That moment on, he's been his numbers have just blown up. And One thing, even sorry. more than that, was Josh Allen. That's the other guy that I look at at the end of the article, where it's you just look at Josh Allen before Stephon Diggs and after Stephon Diggs, and it's like double the touchdowns, almost yep. double the yards. It's insane. It's absolutely mm -hmm. insane the difference in his stats. Far point. be it from me to make some sweeping declaration, but I think one thing that I know the, these kinds of conversations always remind me of is that in your second year, I think it's it started. I've started to think that it's almost a quarterback's job to just prove that they're not not the guy in yeah. in your second year. In year two, you can fail, but in year two, you cannot necessarily solidify yourself as the dude unless you go full Patrick Mahomes yeah. and you establish a precedent of throwing for 5,000 yards. And it's yeah. weird when you don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like to your point, there are a lot of folks worried about, well, what if we come out of this year and we don't know whether fields is the guy. And I think when you name all those comps, we're not going to, yeah. I mean, people ask questions about Lamar Jackson unfair ones might I add, but even after the MVP, like yeah. young quarterbacks always get questioned, but somebody like Mariota was pretty written off, especially after that second year. It feels like that's that third year where they need to assert themselves and we'll get there. But so, Mariota yeah. is so funny. It's like, I, I did not understand why 
Mariota just got worse his third year. Like his first two years, <laughs> his stats look so was good. decent. And I did not watch Titans games. So I didn't know. And I remember going into like a Tennessee Titans subreddit once and just asking them. And they were just like, he always sucks because he sucks because he's a bad quarterback. And I'm not going to get any answers. And I'm just like, why do you all hate him? He, he was solid for the first two years. And then he fell off a cliff and I don't understand. And I still don't understand because I've never gone back and looked. I mean, hey, look, at one point I tried to get a straight answer out of uh, SB Nation's Oakland Raiders corollary on like what they thought of Derek Carr. And they're, trust me, <laughs> he's polarizing there too. It yeah. seems like, it seems like honestly, any quarterback that isn't a clear top six quarterback just gets questioned a lot. There are yeah. the Dallas fans that I know because they're local to me that hate Dak Prescott. There are well, Vikings fans. He took Tony Romo's job. Oh yeah, but then there are Vikings fans that love Kirk Cousins, like, and then there are Vikings fans that hate Kirk Cousins, <laughs> and it, it's just funny because, like, you're talking about. I mean, quarterback is quarterback is a position that I think a lot of people view as a magic elixir, and yeah. if anything, that study helps remind it helped remind me that supporting cast makes a big difference on output. Supporting cast can take a quarterback in. I am not brave enough to use 2018. So let's use Mariota instead. Uh, <laughs> like a supporting cast can take a quarterback that may struggle and raise them up. A, a supporting cast can take a quarterback that will blossom and hold them down. Like, so yeah, the article there's, I have a chart in there that shows total supporting cast versus QB rank. And the QB rank is, you know, an average of their rank between EPA, CPOE, right. adjusted NARDS per temp, that type of stuff. And really, you could once a ro the roster around the offensive roster around the quarterback hit about 2% above average, the floor was about a top 15 quarterback. Like Baker was at 16, like but it, that, that was the floor. But anything below that 2%, the floor was down below 20. It was down around down closer to 25. Wow. It was, just, it, was, it was an interesting kind of cliff that they fell off right there. So it's almost like you can't have a Sam Darnold without being flat out bad. Yeah. But when you're above a certain threshold, you may never actually know whether your yeah. quarterback is good because your team is too good around them. How interesting. Well, yeah. suffice to say, we probably won't have that problem this year. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I hope we do. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> but it seems like a lot to dream for because like you're yeah. saying that would need a that would need a lot of the bears question marks to turn i mean you'd probably need valus jones becomes a 600 yard receiver like an, a, a legitimate whatever you want to call that uh cole Komet asserts himself as a top 10 tight end tevin jenkins is a pro bowler braxton yeah. jones is like a consistent starter cody whitehair regains his form like you don't need all and of Matt them to Eber go right. coach of the year but you need a lot of those question marks to turn into exclamation marks. Yeah. And suddenly you, that's how you get the Rams transition, right? Yeah. Is you basically need that Cooper cup yeah. where a third exactly. round pick becomes, whoa. And in this case, I mean, forgive me, Q, there is one on the roster. I feel like Tevin Jenkins is that. Cause did you do this with Jenkins at guard and factor in a second round pick? So or did that's you do actually, this with a gaping hole? This at guard? was Schofield at guard. Mm -hmm. So that's that's something that will Im would improve the numbers just because there's not enough history on Jenkins for me to use any real stats there. Right. 
say I think it, or th- there might be enough for one season, but honestly, his draft grade is going to outweigh pretty much everything because right. it's really all we got. You make it sound like if Tevin Jenkins, just to throw it out there, with Darno, if Darno Mooney can play 17 games and Tevin Jenkins became a pro bowler, which like, let's dream big, but we're still in the preseason, so I'm going to allow it. If that happens, Fields' supporting cast takes a surprising step forward at that point. Yeah, because it's probably sitting somewhere around the plus one percent kind of range at that point. That ain't which bad. Is still a little below that 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 floor raise, but it's I mean it's it's right right at to above average. It's more to work with, yeah. which sounds awfully nice, especially if uh, honestly if Tevin Jenkins is good for one out of every three running plays, like helping get to above four yards. That's great, and yeah. especially if they can create like legitimate explosives. But again, let's let's get the first, let's get the base covered before <laughs> we start asking for anything better yeah. than that. Well, Q, we have been on the phone for an awfully long time for a Thursday night post game show. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like it really helps us crystallize what to look for here. And now we've got a nice little wait until our third preseason game and. Do you know know when it is? Because actually, I don't. I think it's another Saturday game. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think it's another Saturday. Bears have a nice long rest. I imagine that the uh, that the that the starters aren't going to play much. Uh, Akusai, I already see you bagging on the quote unquote short podcast. You're right. I did it again. <laughs> but Q, thank you so much for really going into detail. I feel yeah. like we got to experience your article. If we wanted to go read it, where can we find it? Uh, on tap sportsnet.com or just go to Google and type in uh, Justin Fields and the uh, year two leap or second year leap. Okay. That's awesome. You got anything else that we can follow while you're, while we're at it? Yeah. On uh, on Twitter at Buckus stats is my name. I do a football focused podcast football football gambling fantasy football it's called shaving points podcast um we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on tiktok just look up shaving points podcast and any of them if you find something that's us <laughs> um <laughs> where we got we got a and shaving dash points.com is our website we, we got a monopoly on the name at this point so killing very it. proud of that um and anywhere on tap we we're on tap we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram youtube we're we're all over that too perfect well thanks so much again for staying up late with me uh really really awesome having you aboard bears fans we will catch you next time on saturday night post game we got a great week of more wcg content coming at you with i think bears banter gets going again this week so we've got bear and balance bears banter uh i believe uh, making the monsters is going to have another episode so we got a whole bunch but uh <laughs> great or great talking to you guys and we'll catch you on the next one bear down and thanks so bear much down. for bearing with me support for this show comes from vanta dealing with loads of spreadsheets juggling different tools and having to do manual security checks it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust building efforts under one roof making growth smoother for your whole organization vanta lets you automate up to 90 percent of compliance for SOC 2 iso 27001 hipaa and more strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk 
Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.